I'm Devin Rubin from Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and I will be hosting this episode of Lessons from the Lab. It's been a long week. It's been a really good week. Lots of interesting patients in clinic and in the lab. Uh, I am somewhat tired, but I'm I'm excited to uh, ho end the week by hosting this episode. And we really have quite a wonderful guest, Dr. Holly Horak from University of Arizona, who will be joining me shortly. During this episode, I am going to be asking Holly about her approach to a case of a patient who had this numbness in the medial aspect of his hand. It's always interesting to get a perspective of someone uh, at another institution, see if we think alike, see if we think different, see if there's things that she might be doing that we can incorporate into our lab. So uh, I'm excited to have this discussion and let's get to it. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Holly Horak. Dr. Horak is a professor of neurology at University of Arizona and the past president of AANEM. So it's great to see you, Holly. How are you? Likewise, Devin. I'm, I'm doing well, and um, yeah, things are going well out here in Tucson. So Good. The last time I saw you was in Nashville, and you were running around the meeting with your, like your head was cut off because you were doing a million things. Yes. Uh, are you, are you uh, happy to be done with that? <laughs> it, it, it was such an enjoyable experience. I mean, I loved it. It was so busy, though, that I think being the past president is also an enjoyable experience. <laughs> what, what, if you don't mind me asking you, mm -hmm. and this isn't really an interview, but I'm going to ask you anyway, is what was most, what, what, what did you find most rewarding in that as, as the president of the organization? Two things. One, just the people, the synergy. You're there at that meeting and you're introducing you're introduced to so many interesting people. I met young people from all over the world. I met young neurologists, neurophysiologists who are just excited to be learning about this field. And then the energy that that creates at that meeting. I really enjoyed that. That was a just a, a huge pleasure. And then the corollary to that is the amount of science and new um, therapies are coming to our field. It just created a lot, it added to that energy to know that for things like myasthenia, we have treatments that are changing and new options for our patients. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you're like me, that's the meeting I look for. I'm already looking forward to next year's meeting. Yes. You know, it's on the calendar and the, I agree, the people and just, um, it's just such a warm group. And yes. uh, yeah. the only downside of the meeting is I didn't get much time to say hi to you because you were so busy. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, that's. I think next year I'm going to just relax and and try to go to sessions and learn. But right, right. You'll be able to do that next year. So, well, I, I appreciate you taking the time. This um, this lessons from the lab is is as you know something AANEM is doing where. Um, we are trying to learn from each other uh, how, on how we ap might approach a clinical problem in clinic or in the EMG laboratory. And what I thought I would do is just present a, a, a brief case that we had in our lab a few weeks ago and pick your brain a little bit. And I may show you a couple of things that we did, but see how you would approach this patient. So, um, so the is that is that okay? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, you could pick my brain, but your brain's bigger than my brain. <laughs> no, so. no, 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 so, not at all. Uh, um, 
so this guy, this was a 60-year-old man who was sent to our EMG lab for numbness in his pinky and okay. um, his fifth digit. And he basically, I think he had had it, if I recall, it had been going on for maybe six months, I think. And he basically noted um, that his his fifth digit and kind of medial hand was was numb. It was tingly, but he couldn't feel it. That's more what he meant with numbness. Um, and um, and really, and he noted some weakness in his hand too. So he kind of had some difficulty just with some of the fine motor skills in his hand. And that was really his symptoms. He didn't have any neck pain. He didn't have any more proximal symptoms. He didn't have any problem in the other other hand. And when we examined him before the EMG, um, he did have some weakness, uh, moderate, mild to moderate weakness in his inner ossei. Uh, his thenar muscles seemed pretty strong. The rest of his strength seemed pretty good in his, um, in his upper extremity. His reflexes were normal and he did have some sensory loss just in the fifth digit and medial hand. So otherwise, and, and I think, you know, he didn't really have much of a remarkable past history. I think nothing that was real significant. He was not diabetic. So he was sent for us to evaluate this, this numbness and hand weakness. So I'm just curious, you probably see this all the time. Uh, what, what do you do? Like when this person right. comes to life? Well, and the, the, something you already mentioned, but I think it's worth highlighting is numbness means different things to different people. It's so important to clarify that. We have a lot of Spanish speakers and they are bilingual, but they'll translate numbness to be a, a host of my hand isn't working properly. So you have to clarify, do you mean it's tingling? Do you mean there's no sensation? Do you mean it's weak? So that's just something that you've already highlighted in your presentation that I think is worth circling back to. And then, as you said, the exam is really important um, because you've already highlighted that there's some motor components. So it's not just like the distal sensory branch here. I mean, we know it's not because it's involving that medial aspect of his hand, but that's that, that small exam that you do, that mini consult you do before the um, EMG is very important. So I would then tell the patient that we need to kind of look at that ulnar nerve and it's um, start there, but do a, a comparison with the median nerve and see what we see. Yeah, no, I think that's an important point, and it comes up often in, in these discussions is, is clarifying what the patient means. I saw a patient this morning in clinic who mm -hmm. said their legs were weak, and, you know, he kind of meant numb, so it goes both ways. They, they yes. so, so, yeah, so, so, so in your lab, when someone comes, do you do you do nerve conductions first or do you do needle first or how does so that we we do not have a tech so I do I do them so I start with nerve conductions for various reasons one I think they're usually better tolerated two as we know you're already going to get some data if you have low if it's a patient unfortunately with ALS or Liberty and you get low motor CMAPs you already have a clue as to what's going on so I always start with nerve conductions and then move on to EMG that's just how I tend to do it yeah, I have this discussion and with our fellows and residents and even the staff sometimes, you know, you, I think, you know, depending on the clinical problem, some one component is going to be more useful than the other, right? So, right. for example, radiculopathy, which we're not really talking about right now, you know, if I had to choose nerve conduction or needle exam, I'm going to choose needle exam, right? Right. 
But yeah, I think especially when there's sensory symptoms, then the, we, we do yeah. the same thing. So, so what do you, what do you start with? Do you, since you're the tech, right? <laughs> what do you do first? So, so even though his DNR strength is normal, I think it's good to establish he doesn't have an underlying, he doesn't have diabetes, but maybe he has a, uh, you know, a gap protein zero neuropathy that he doesn't know about. So, you know, a form of CMT or something. So I would do a median motor just to establish that his motors look good. Then I would move on to the, if it's normal, move on to the ulnar motor. And, and if it, and I, you know, I think what I'll do is I'll just show you if I'm going to show you the, I'm going to share my screen and show you, um, and maybe let's see. So can you see, oh, yeah. see that? Mm -hmm. So this is, um, this is our, our machine. So this, we yes. do, we do the same thing. We do the median motor first, look, expecting it to be normal. And obviously this looks, right. looks You've pretty got a nice good. velocity, good amplitude, normal latency. So yeah. And then I would move on to the ulnar motor. I always like to do the ulnar motor with the elbow extended at 130 degrees and the arm resting on a pillow like that. And do you, do you always, uh, where do you stimulate? Do you always stimulate the same places or? Right. So I, I will measure six and a half. So I'll, I put the, I'll start with ADM, you know, the routine and I'll put the active electrode over the main, the, the most prominent muscle spot over the ADM and then the reference electrode over just above the fifth metacarpal joint and then measure six and a half right on the wrist, right below the, you know, guidance canal below the wrist. And then I come down here to the olecranon and that's my second point. And that I, I'll measure this, but I record here, then I'll measure that later. Then I go up into the um, arm and measure about, I've learned over the years, about 10 centimeters <laughs> proximal to the Proc yeah. So you, so I, I couldn't see that quite the elbow, but do oh, you, you stimulate yeah. proximal yes. to the yes. epicondyle? The, the, and then yes. do, you, mm -hmm. do you always stimulate distal or no? Yes, just to touch distal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you do that even just out of curiosity, even if someone comes in just with non-specific arm pain, do you do all three sites? I do because I'm surprised at the number of times I find some slowing across the elbow and whether they have carpal tunnel and some slowing, I always want to then counsel them, hey, be careful, even when you're getting treated for the carpal tunnel, you don't want to ignore an incipient ulnar neuropathy because you're you know, using the wrist in a different way. So I tend to do all three sites. Yeah, this comes up with our text. We just discussed this yesterday in a case of someone who had classic carpal tunnel and we had a new tech technologist. It was actually her first time being independent. We've been training her and mm -hmm. she did an ulnar motor uh, with all three sites. And I said, why did you do all three sites? Not Why not just the wrist and above the elbow? And mm -hmm. she said, well, I don't want to miss anything. She was really nervous. And I said, well, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, but we talked about, you know, and, and this, you know, this always comes up, index of suspicion. And, you know, I said, well, we always do it if the, the, the suspicion is for an ulnar neuropathy or if the conduction velocity between wrist and above elbow is borderline, um, you know, or, or mildly mm -hmm. slow, we do too. We don't always do that if it's just kind of a non-specific arm pain, um, unless we right. want to find something like an right. Fair pain. enough. Yes. Yeah. You have to then decide what you're going to do with that data. You should already have a right. You know. Right. Right. So here, here's our ulnar study. Okay. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So what do you think? 
Yeah, well, first off, before I even look at the numbers, I can see the waveforms and you see the above elbow site, there's definitely a drop in amplitude and a little shift in latency. So I would already, before I even calculated the conduction velocity, be suspicious there's some slowing around the elbow, but I'd wanna calculate the percent difference between below elbow and above elbow sites. So you, percent difference in amplitude or in- Yes. In, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 It, yes. it, okay. Mm -hmm. And so here for, in case some of people are viewing this or listening and without viewing, it looks like there's about a 50% drop yes. in amplitude between below and above. And there's slowing of across. So we do things, I don't know if we do things the exact same way as others, but we, we calculate a velocity from wrist to above elbow and wrist to below elbow. We don't actually calculate the velocity across, across. the elbow. You, so that's actually that? interesting. So I do see it's elbow to wrist, but it shows you that there is slowing, a definite difference between below elbow to wrist, and it's significant. That would be significant in our lab as well, because we right. do the total distance, and then we do an across elbow, but clearly there's a significant yeah. difference, and it's in our lab, those numbers would be abnormal. And the 50% meets the definition, 50% drop in amplitude meets the definition of conduction block, so. Right. Yeah. So... Would you stop? Are we done? We know what he has. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I ask our right. techs or, you know. Right. But... <laughs> yes. So actually two things. I mean, one, of course, I would want to do some inching across that elbow to see if I could localize it better where that conduction block is occurring. Yeah. So we did, yeah. we did, we, we think alike. So we did the inching and, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to yep. show you this slide, and then we have a superimposition too. It's the same thing. Oh, I thing, love that. Yeah, that's nice. That's so, interesting. Yeah, you can see right here between four and five. Right there. Yeah. Yep. There's a big, big drop in amplitude over a two centimeter segment or yes. or so. Yeah. yeah. And 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 ours, and the inching programs are only all a bit different. But ours, we put the medial epicondyle distance at two sixty five. We measure to that, and it's really between one, two, three, four. So kind of between the fourth and fifth, mm -hmm. right where the epicondyle is. Okay. So really at the elbow. Yeah. So do you, do you, if, if you have a good story like this and the ulnar motor conduction, the standard ulnar motor conduction is normal. Do you ever inch? That's interesting. If my below elbow and above elbow amplitudes were the same, I probably wouldn't, but yet you're right. The history, if the history was very good, is there a way to get more data? I don't know. Yeah, I've had a few patients where it had a classic history and the velocity across the elbow was, was normal, but kind of borderline. And in those mm -hmm. situations, I sometimes will inch because you know, I always think if, you, if you're thinking about such focal mild slowing, if we're right. stimulating over a longer segment, we may not pick that up. And we've had a few patients where inching, inching will pick that up, that focal shift. Right. Yeah. So I think, in, as you say, in cases where the velocity is at the border and the history is very good, it makes good sense. Yeah. I think the thing that um, I always to think about with inching, though, is is making sure when we do see a shift, not so much the block like you see here, but that the the distances are the same. Right. Yes. I think around the elbow, it's hard. I don't know. Do yes. you think? Especially with the anatomy. If you have somebody, you know, who 
they're, they've had elbow injury or they have a lot of um, muscle, it can be hard to kind of get precisely one centimeter each yeah. time. Right, yeah. right. So, okay. So it looks like there's a focal block. Right. I probably would still else? do, right. I would do sensories just again. Uh, it's, he's got that uh, decreased sensation. You want to see if there's any ulnar sensory left. I might just do anadromic sensory just to see what it's showing me. And and do you when you do your antidromic sensory, do you stimulate at the wrist and the elbow or just the wrist? So in this case, I might do the elbow and the wrist just because I'm curious and do above. But uh, again, it would depend on if I, I would start the wrist and if I don't get a response, I'm not going to go any further. Or if it's really low amplitude, I know I'm unlikely to get a good response proximally. Yeah. But it would be nice if you get a decent, robust response distally. Yeah, see where the block is on the sensory as well. Yeah, so this, so here's the sensory, mm-hmm. and we we actually the tech actually did above wrist and below, mm-hmm. and then above elbow. Yes, and so you can see it's not present above elbow, but um, yeah, you're losing some amplitude already between the wrist and below below elbow, which you expect, but it is absent above elbow. So, so would do you think that 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 would you be comfortable calling this a block in sensory fibers? No, no, no. Yeah, that's just that's just normal, no physiologic dispersion. What about between the below elbow and above elbow? So there, I'm. I don't know what I would call it because yeah, it's clearly gone. But could that just be again physiologic dispersion, not getting the response? So yeah, would, and for the okay. viewers who are who are listening, the a below elbow amplitude is two microvolts. So it's hard to call a block when you have two microvolts down to zero microvolts. So, but I think what, I don't have a slide of this. I think I can't remember. I think what we did compare the ulnar sensory. And I guess if the ulnar sensory on the other side, it probably was, was higher distally. And if you got a really high elbow response on the other side, maybe that would indicate. Right. Yeah, we have, I have one colleague here who really believes in the side-to-side comparison. And if you had a nice, robust response on the unaffected side, you could argue that this fits with the history and your motor patterns. Right. What about patients that only have sensory symptoms and you do the ulnar motor? So only, you know, classic symptoms, but it's only sensory and you do the ulnar motor and the it's all normal and let's say you did inching and it's all normal and you do you do any do you ever inch the sensory (laughs) um you know why not because it's less common for the motor for the sensory fibers to be affected preferentially but if there is a a block you see on the sensory that would help explain what's going on yeah we did one of our former fellows did a small study on this we it was published in muscle and nerve and in the patients that we looked at patients that had a classic ulnar nerve symptoms had a had a normal distal ulnar antidromic response so no evidence of at distal axon loss right and we we did inching short segment stimulation in the on the ulnar antidromic and we we had uh, a handful of patients where we did see a drop in amplitude or a shift in latency the latency is harder because you you know you don't get a good takeoff but right. we use we use the peak uh, latency and look for a shift um, 
and and found that in normal we did normal people too and found that you get the same same shift in latency the upper limit of normal of about 0.8 milliseconds is similar in the sensory than the motor okay so we, yeah. i do that sometimes right no so, i mean especially you know because again going back to the history the history is telling us there's a problem so you want to keep trying to find it so what about um needle exam in this case so this case we have a classic conduction block we have we know where it is it's at the epicondyle do you do you still needle or you know you have some weakness so you could make a case to see if there's any denervation from conduction block because that could help you reinforce to the patient the necessity of getting this evaluated don't put it off don't ignore it so um that would be the only reason i would do that you know, and I might think about doing FDI and maybe flexor carpoulnaris to see if there's any denervation, which would be due to conduction block, because then I would tell the patient, look, you don't want to delay getting this treated. So kind of, if I could paraphrase, just to help define severity and degree of axon loss, yes. which kind of go hand in hand rather than focal demyelination. Right, exactly. Yeah. Do you do, you do FCU or FDP or both? when you stick those muscles? I tend to do FCU because um, that's just the muscle I'm used to, but FDP, that would work as well. Yeah, I like FDP. I don't know why. <laughs> I like having them bend right, their pinky say, down. You, you like this. <laughs> it, it actually is, that technique is really nice, so. But but I think an important point, and I think there is data to support this, that some in some patients, the branches to the FCU and FTP come off proximal to the epicondyle. Right. So I, I always, you know, especially in those cases that we don't have a focal block, we just kind of have everything's a little bit low on the ulnar. It's, you know, there's nothing that's focality and we can't tell where it is. I think if, if those are abnormal, it helps us tell it's at the elbow, but if they're normal, it doesn't really help us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's if, if you find, like you said, if you get the data that helps you rule in a diagnosis, then it is helpful. And we did, we did do the needle exam just to show you one last slide. So this patient mm -hmm. did have two plus fibs in both of those muscles. Mm -hmm. I didn't do FCU. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and reduced recruitment and, and long yeah. units. So, yeah. yeah. So I think this yeah. helped us show that there was axon loss and yes. it's chronic too. So yeah. Yeah with the with the neurogenic changes absolutely yeah yeah and um do you use ultrasound so we I'm have an ultrasound machine here. uh my colleague Catalan share will do that that's i was going to say that would be a step she would do she would get the ultrasound machine out and add it um we're incorporating beginning to incorporate it so I'm going to put you on the spot and say do you think that we don't need to do neurophysiology and can just use ultrasound so it's interesting. I don't think we're there yet. You know, I, I do think that as that technology improves and we become more comfortable with that data, but right now, the, I think that nerve conduction studies still are really giving us the real in-time data. And we don't, we don't know enough yet about the variables with ultrasound. And the ultrasound probes aren't, the, the technology on the probes is not yet quite there but it couldn't be coming. Yeah, in our lab, we don't have the fortune of having, you know, one of the the really expensive high-powered right. ultrasounds, which yeah. which are really nice. But 
I, you know, I'm with you. I, and I apologize to anyone watching this that's an ultrasonographer, but I'm a neurophysiologist at heart. And, and I do, you know, I think, I think one could argue that with ultrasound, you could see focal slowing and you could localize this and you wouldn't need to do neurophysiology. But I think things like the needle exam, as you said, does provide additional information about the degree of denervation uh, the, and things like that, that you may not get with ultrasound. Right. It's it's real it's kinetic data you know it's data telling us what the nerve is doing and how it's functioning versus a static I mean ultrasound's not static but it's an image versus a, a telling us the actual uh, functional you know yeah yeah but and we are doing doing both and I think as yes. we all know and 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 as we hear all the time in our meetings that they really complement each other and there's really yeah. value in in having that in the lab and um, no absolutely um, yeah. Again, because let's say the person had had an injury to the ulnar nerve, and you know, or the elbow in the past. By doing ultrasound, you could also look for structural problems that would help the surgeon. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, do you see lots of ulnar neuropathies in your lab? Oh yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, and when when you let me just ask one other thing: when you go back to the needle exam, like in 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 this case where you have a focal block, do you stick other muscles besides the ulnar muscles? I. I do one to show that, and I would do like you did, just a few, a few median, maybe like one or two median and one in radial innervated muscle, just to make sure that there's not a more diffuse process. I mean, if I see denervation in, say, the you know extensor carpal radialis, I might be like, well, what's going on? Does he have multifocal motor neuropathy? Do I need to do a wider study? Um, yeah, and C8 muscles, a non ulnar right. C8 muscle will always do to make yeah. sure. You know, I, I, you, you, I think we, we could debate this because, and I've had this discussion that if you, you know, if you have a classic story and you have a focal block and you inch and there's a focal block, you know, it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's going to be a duck, not dorsal ulnar cutaneous, but, right. um, <laughs> but you know, it's going to be ulnar neuropathy and you can argue minimize and. Right. <laughs> um, that was a great neurophysiology joke. Yeah, I, yeah, right. <laughs> but, um. But I think you're right that it's important to be, to people can have two things. In, right. You know, it's rare for me to have such a pure story. Usually somebody will say, well, I also have neck pain or I work in a factory and, you know, I've, I've injured my neck. So I think it is worth ruling out that C8 um, yeah. because why make them come back then? Yeah, you know, it, it helps your, if you're going to intervene on that elbow, you want to rule out other problems. So if I was your resident and you were going to give me any advice about EMG assessment of ulnar neuropathy, is there anything that you would reiterate or uh, we didn't cover that you would maybe suggest or make, make me think about? Well, I'm just thinking this case, it turned out to be a nice, episode, a nice you know, focal conduction block at the elbow. But it's really important to go back and use, uh, you know, a, an anatomy textbook to look at the ulnar nerve, especially the sensory components at the wrist and the hand and the innervation, because it's a complex nerve. You know, we don't think of it because we're so often the problem is here, but you want to think about the other places where there could be compression. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're not getting into the more distal ulnar neuropathies, right. which gets even more complicated. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So, no, I would agree, I think. And I think... I think the other point I would, if you were my resident, I would reiterate sure. when 
when localizing, especially doing short segment stimulation, is you really have to be compulsive in how you're doing it, and as you are when you're doing your own conductions, right. yeah. uh, because it, we see errors in in misdiagnosis because of understimulation or not over the nerve. Well, and to follow up on that, you're right. Thinking about my residents. They, the consistency, you know, you have to make sure you're between the medial epicondyle and the olecranon and make sure you're following that nerve. So you have to know that anatomy there. Sometimes residents, they're thinking more, I want to be on the outside of the arm. No, no, you have to know where that ulnar nerve is and really think about that anatomy, you know, inside the arm. Yeah. Under right. the skin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish our ulnar nerve didn't like go around our elbow, but that's not how we're made. Right. <laughs> So, well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's, it's great discussing this with you. These are common problems and it's nice to know that we're doing things similarly and thinking alike and- Right, on the two coasts or I'm not quite on the coast, but on two different time zones. Yeah, and you have to promise me at next AANEM that you'll give me five minutes of time to catch up. Very good, I would love to do that. And uh, this has been fun, so thank you. Thank you, Dr. Good. Well, thank you, and uh, and thanks again for sharing your your knowledge and thoughts. You take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. So there you have it. Everything you wanted to know about the electrophysiologic approach to ulnar neuropathy. That was really a valuable discussion. It's nice to hear and see that uh, Dr. Horak and I perform uh, fairly similar approaches and studies to these patients. I think a couple of the take-home points of this is uh, the importance of nerve conduction studies, of course, in the evaluation of uh, ulnar neuropathy. I think it's important to ensure that stimulation on ulnar motor conduction studies are performed above and below the elbow to try to help localize the ulnar neuropathy and to perform short segment stimulation carefully and precisely to even further localize. Um, and I think the other point that came across is that even if we localize the ulnar neuropathy on the nerve conduction studies and we have focal conduction block or focal slowing, the needle examination can provide some additive information regarding the severity or chronicity of the, of the compression or of the ulnar neuropathy. And then lastly, while we didn't really get into it much, uh, I think there, that we both agree there is value in ultrasound uh, significant value in ultrasound, both in terms of helping to localize the ulnar neuropathy um, and also look for potential causes or structural abnormalities. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a great day. Bye-bye.